So I know you are a master. Pulling all the strings. People are far too willing to put their reputation in my hands. <laughs> <laughs> Choices are made. Sorry. 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 Greetings and welcome to another potentially useful episode of the TCAP Sloop Podcast. My name is Larry Burden, and she's likely had more than the FDA's recommended amount of Tay-Tay Tots on Sunday. It's Danielle Brostrom. Let's now embark on a journey through the intricate web of education, technology, and equity. Today, we're diving deep into the 2024 National Education Technology Plan. Join us as we navigate through the waves of innovation, unpacking the strategies aimed at bridging the digital divide and ensuring equitable access to educational resources for all learners. Can you tell this was ChatGPT? I was wondering. We'll unravel the threads of this ambitious plan, shedding light on its impact and applications for our classrooms. So gear up, fellow EdTech explorers, and open your mind for this week's TCAPS Loop moment of zen. Organization is what you do before you do something so that when you do it, it's not all mixed up. Amen. Before we start, you wanted to fact check last week's moment of Zen. <laughs> and I did. Turns out you were right, but it goes much deeper than that. Tell me more. So, starts at 1710, the year 1710, with Jonathan Swift's quote, falsehood flies and truth comes limping after it. It's a beautiful quote. Yeah. So it's also, however, attributed to, or versions of it are attributed to Mark Twain, Fisher Ames, Thomas Jefferson, John Randolph, Charles Hayden Spurgeon, Terry Pratchett, and Winston Churchill. In 1981, the New York Times published remarks made by foreign policy expert Ernest W. Lefever, Lefever, who implausibly attributed the saying to Winston Churchill. However, the closest I could find was a lie gets halfway around the world before the truth has a chance to get its breeches on from Cordell Hull. In 1948, Cordell Hull was the Secretary of State during the administration of Franklin D. Roosevelt, who included a version with breaches in his memoirs. I'm, yes! <laughs> I'm happy to say I was wrong, but it turns out a whole lot of people were. <laughs> Isn't the internet amazing? The internet is amazing. So... Now that we have that out of the way. <laughs> Are you sure this week's one is correct? <laughs> I'm, I'm very confident. Very confident. But I did not actually fact check it. And I did not go to Brainy Quotes. But I saw it attributed in multiple locations. But I did not ah, talk to Mr. Milne good, so until I do that. Good lateral reading there. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm proud of you. And I really love the Kenny Loggins song. What Kenny Loggins song? Return to Pooh Corner. Nothing. Oh, oh my goodness. Oh, you you'll cry. Okay. It's 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 the best song. Let's not listen now. It's, it's the best song. Okay. Yeah, because we have a lot to cover, and that was a really long intro. Oh, that's a really long <laughs> intro. This is, this is gonna be like a <laughs> 90 minute podcast, and I apologize. Yes, this is a three-parter. Because what we're going to do is we're going to break down a publication from the uh, National Department of Educational Technology. Who knew that we had a National Department of Educational Technology? But we do. So uh, what we're going to be doing is breaking down this National Education Technology Plan, or as the kids say, NETP. 
Nobody says that, Pete. (laughs) We are because we're not going to say National Education Technology Plan every time. Fair. Okay. Net P. (laughs) Net P in the house. All right. (laughs) But this is this is going to be interesting. Um, With a quote that was in the the plan, there were a couple quotes that I thought were really telling, but it's a good place to start. The first one was from Justin Reich. Predictions of imminent transformation are among the most reliable refrains in the history of educational technology. I think that does a good job of framing the general tenor of the plan. It is a pretty sober look at what we've been doing in educational technology, but also really lays some good track for what we can do going forward. Do you want to give us maybe a little bit of a background check on what this is? Yeah, so there is an Office of Educational Technology, Larry. They've been around for quite some time. Are you sure? Did you fact check it? I'm positive. Um, They've had previous national education technology plans going all the way back to 1996. Very interesting to look at things that they were talking about, though, in the previous seven versions, uh, 1996, 2000, 2004, on and on every couple of years they do this. But Super interesting. Um, The topic of the 2001, in fact, is e-learning, putting a world-class education at the fingertips of all children. So it's just interesting to see how far far we've come, just like any of those, like when we looked at the ISTE standards and the progression. It's interesting to see. This one is a call to action for closing the digital access, design, and use divides. It is a plan. It's a blueprint for improving America's schools. Largely served as kind of telling you where we are at and where we need to be. It does paint, you said sobering, and I think that's accurate. I feel like our classrooms are overrun with technology at this point, but there's still so much of a discrepancy between what our kids are doing with that technology in the classrooms. And that's what this plan tries to address. I kind of paraphrased the initial uh, header a little bit. And I think it's really good to see the frame that they're looking at this in, if you'll indulge. In the simplest terms, the instructional core is composed of the teacher and the student in the presence of content. It is the relationship between the teacher, the student, and the content, not the qualities of any one of them by themselves. I think that's important. That determines the nature of instructional practice. Simply stated, the instructional task is the actual work that the students are asked to do in the process of instruction, not what the teachers think they are asking the students to do or what the official curriculum says that the students are asked to do, but what they are actually asked to do. I think it's important when we look at educational technology with that frame, it kind of tells you where we maybe missed a little bit, the disconnect between the content what the teacher's asking the student to do and what the student's actually doing, it points out the divide and where the divides are. That's why those three things that we're going to be discussing, those three divides, are the prominent feature of this plan. So with that being said... Before we do, though, looking back... (laughs) And this is why it's going to be a 90-minute I I know. Looking back at the evolution of, of this plan, I mean, when technology first became so entrenched in our classrooms, it was going to be the fix. 
if, if you do this, your kids will succeed. And if you do this, your kids will do better on all their tests. And if you do this, your kids will really learn this content. And you still hear that when you're talking to vendors. They'll tell you, our product is better than all the rest and our product will do X, Y, Z. And we have data that tells us that our product will get your kids to do this better. But it ignores that relationship, like what you're talking about. It ignores that relationship between the teacher and the student and the content and how all three of them kind of mesh together and how technology needs to kind of layer and massage and help that relationship work together. It's not a separate and it's not an end-all be-all. And that is what the plan talks about. So what I thought was really interesting about the plan is that it's not always divided between the haves and the have-nots, as we often think of it. You know, we often think of, you know, the schools that have all of these resources and then the schools that that don't. And, and in this plan, it's not always that same divide. It's not the, the, the technology. It's not like this school has a bunch of computers. This school doesn't have computers. It's this school is doing different things with their technology than this school is doing. And that's the divide we're talking about. So I think that was a little bit of a mind shift for me because we get so used to talking about that digital divide. You know, it's the kids that have internet at home and the kids that don't have internet at home. And it's the schools that have one-to-one devices and it's the schools that don't have one-to-one devices. And I think that's a part of this. You can have a successful ecosystem because really I think that's what what this is talking about is looking at an educational ecosystem and technology as being part of that ecosystem as opposed to the educational technology ecosystem. And then we have the educational system over here in a district. It doesn't matter how much technology you have if you haven't created an ecosystem that includes both. You can have all the technology in the world and all the money, but if there's not a sympathetic relationship between those two or any content, you're not going to be successful. I didn't go nearly as in-depth as you did. I do believe it not only points out some of the places that we can work on, but it gives us some solutions as well. It gives some ideas on how some districts are already succeeding with with closing that divide. So what are... The three three main areas. So the three barriers to equitable support of learning through ed tech are the first is the digital use divide, which we're going to talk about today. And that is the inequitable implementation of instructional tasks supported by technology. So on one side of the the divide, you've got students who are, you know, using technology to, to build, to analyze, to produce, to create. And then on the other side, students are using technology in a very passive way the digital worksheets. The, it's the stuff that we've talked about for so long. This is an easy one to see how those kids that are using technology to create and analyze are so much further ahead than the kids that are using technology in a more passive way. So that's the digital use divide. Then you've got the digital design divide, and that is inequitable access to time and support of professional learning for teachers, educators, and practitioners to build their professional capacity to design those learning experiences for kids using ed tech. Again, the divide between the teachers and the educators who have a strong pedagogical knowledge about how to use ed tech in the classroom to when it makes sense, and then the teachers who just have not been given the time to professionally learn that skill. So that's your digital design divide. And then the third one is your digital access divide. And that's inequitable access to connectivity devices and digital content. So that 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 could be devices, that could be internet access, that could be the kids that have the devices and the internet access versus the kids that don't. But that could also be accessibility. 
the kids who can access the content because the content is given to them in a way that makes sense versus the kids that can't access the content, whether it's because of a learning disability or um, whether it's because of a language barrier, that access divide is real. I also think that there's a big digital citizenship part of it. So the kids that are taught those digital health, safety, and citizenship skills, and then the kids that are just trying to figure it out as they go through, which we all know is not successful. So that becomes a big divide. So that's that digital access divide. So that is my recommendation, Larry, that we break these up into three because they're all very large and very meaty and there's a lot to talk about here. The plan, thankfully, does reaffirm the things that we've been working on in our district and in our region and the things that the people who are in ed tech are kind of talking about. But what I love about the plan is that it does give some specifics. It does give some examples of schools that are doing some really good things. And it does tie these things together to that instructional core, which is really, really important. Um, this first one, the digital use divide, talks a lot about tying what you do back to your portrait of a graduate or to your compass or to whatever your district's beacon is. And I, I think that's important because the more tech can work together and supplement what's happening, that's going to help that divide become smaller. So let's talk about those recommendations. There were several, uh, or at least a list of recommendations. One of them, I think one of the top ones was that profile or portrait of graduate, which our district has worked on and implemented, which I think is a good touchstone to look back to as far as what your community and your educators in the system value. So that's a good place to start. But that's not the only thing. No, it's not the only thing. There are also things related to implementing feedback mechanisms so that students can help become co-designers of their learning experiences. Just how important it is to get students to help design it. There is some DigSit in here. I love that DigSit was like throughout this entire thing. But making sure that they are learning that digit through those active technology experiences, work-based learning experiences. There was guidelines in here that talk about protecting student data. I, I immediately thought of AI with new technologies. So I think that was an important piece of this. And then the piece that, that I loved seeing in here was the tie to UDL. So developing your rubrics, your tools, making sure that things are accessible in regards to UDL. So UDL is Universal Design of Learning. You saved yourself So there. I know, I was, I was, I was ready for it. Um, that's making sure that all of your learners can have access to those materials and just simple things that you can do to help kids get access. I think that the kids that have had years and years of digital worksheets, of point-and-click assessments, of lockdown devices, penalties for collaboration. They might have access to more technology, but they're not getting those opportunities to use the technology in ways that can help them grow the most. So what are some of the case studies that you were inspired by? You have you have so much. Lots of notes. So many notes. <laughs> Some of the ones that I liked, there was a case study in 2023 with Bartholomew Consolidated School Corporation in Indiana. Um, they did a lot of work with UDL. So helping teachers really understand that the goal is the priority and the learning, not how students accomplish the learning. So giving students voice and choice, using rubrics to evaluate the resources for accessibility, lots and lots of work within that district with UDL. And I think that's a good 
blueprint for any district that's just getting started. I think that that UDL is one of those things that can like give you a lot of bang for your buck. There's a lot of systems thinking here. Yes. It's not just taking those recommendations and doing one at a time or having them as individual pieces. It's tying them all together and it all has to be implemented into that instructional core. How have you seen districts be successful? What are they doing to systematize it, I guess? I think the first step is going to have to be to make sure that you get all the stakeholders at the table to have this conversation, to see why this is important, to see that we're all working together and in continuing to work together. These these things can exist in a vacuum. And often that's what I see in larger districts is that we're we're all trying to get our things done and we're all working toward that same goal, but we're working in our own pockets. And I think getting those stakeholders together and recognizing that we're all headed in the same space, working towards those same goals, and we are trying to help and they are trying to help and we're all, we all have a piece of that learning. I think that's important. And then I think just continuing to talk about this stuff. Ed tech is not something that is just out there on its own. We spent so much money on these devices and especially after COVID, just I felt like devices were kind of dropped everywhere because we needed to go online and that needed to happen and that's great, but now we're kind of backpedaling and we we really need to talk about how we're using them to help all learners succeed. We have a lot of conversations about active and passive use, not necessarily using those terms, but how can a teacher or administrator identify what is passive, what is active, what is successful active use? I think it's really easy for maybe uh, an instructor to think, oh, this is an active use of technology just because they've they've opened the laptop. (laughs) You're so funny. (laughs) Um, So active use of technology is is really when kids are thinking critically, they're building, they're, they're creating something new using technology as a supplement. The focus is always on the learning goal. It could be a simulation. It could be doing some coding. It could be a media production. It could be making some global connections. It can be designing. A lot of focus would be on creation and then that learning goal, not the tech. When kids are passive, you see a lot of digital worksheets, just consuming digital content, um, point-and-click assessments. We used to call them drill and kill. The kids just get on and they just are answering test prep kind of questions. That's the very passive use because it they're not using it as a as a tool to create something new. They're just using it for passive assignment completion. I think that, I mean, project-based learning is talked about in here. UDL is talked about in here. It's easy for a teacher or a school system to get that initiative fatigue. Like, oh my gosh, we're doing everything. We can't do all of this. Like, or or just to try to do everything and then just to completely have your people be exhausted and decrease your effectiveness. But there was a quote in here that I I like highlighted and underlined and rewrote. It says, say no to the good so you can say yes to the best. And I think that's hard to do. But man, if you say no to the good so you can say yes to the best and just focus in on those things that you know are going to make a difference, I think it would really help. There has to be some, I'm going to use the term non-negotiables. And I think it would be helpful to work back from there. Like these are the things that need to happen. And these are the best tools to get them done that we have available in our district. What do we have What do we need to get done? And if we don't have the tools necessary to get those non-negotiables done, we should not be looking outside 
of those non-negotiables. We need to find the tools to then get those non-negotiables done. Before we go, let's look at the shiny ball. Yeah. And making sure that what they're selling will actually hit the targets that we've deemed as non-negotiables. That's what we need. We need that laser focus, that North Star is that portrait of a graduate. Everything that we do is trying to get kids to that goal. And that that's why, why UDL is mentioned so thoroughly in this plan is because allowing kids access is like number one to getting them to whatever goal you have in your learning portrait of a graduate. So I, I think that's why we see this just threaded throughout the plan. There's a lot of commonality with what we've talked about previously. I see a lot of similarities to, you know, some of the ISTE conversations that we've had, which I know as as she smiles. And honestly, I see a lot of commonalities between our district strategic plan. Mm -hmm. I think uh, probably a lot of district strategic plan. And I'm going to assume a lot of the portraits of a graduate in other districts or profiles of a graduate are relatively similar. But again, going back to the case studies, what are people doing that has been successful that we can learn from to implement these plans and get over that divide? What what are some of those bridges that have been made and designs that have been used that have been successful that then we can go, okay, let's work off of that. So here are some more examples. Students at Harrison Middle School in Arkansas created a video about Granny Henderson, one of the last residents of the Buffalo National River area to learn the history of the region and make cultural connections. The Buffalo National River was the first waterway designated as a national river. So you've got students, again, creating a video using content to do something. Chemistry students at William C. Overfelt High School in San Jose, California, used tech to learn how chemicals affect their lives. Students used a visible light spectrophotometer to investigate how fluorescent red light exposure affects yeast acceleration, how fast yeast grows in cold water, and how fructose corn syrup impacts yeast growth. Students at Highland Academy Charter School in Anchorage, Alaska, conducted student-led conferences in the fall and spring, where they presented and shared electronic portfolios of all their exemplary classwork. Visually impaired and blind students in Louisville, Kentucky, are learning to code using Code Jumper. Verona Area School District in Washington uses virtual field trips for cross-curricular, cross-grade-level experiences. Second graders in Pennsylvania used Minecraft to animate their water cycles into cartoons. Um, in their music class at Gorham Middle School in Gorham, Maine, students use Soundtrap to create podcasts and songs. Fifth grade students in California, video conference with rangers in four different parks along the state's coast. And um, students in Texas are programming robots to automate tasks such as cutting the grass and cleaning the floors in schools. A lot of this project-based learning you hear kind of embedded throughout and also that voice and choice where students are able to do something different to show what they learned rather than that passive use, that just taking a standardized test. With the recommendations, I'm looking at number five, review subject area curricula or program scopes and sequence to ensure that student learning experiences build age-appropriate digital literacy skills through active technology use for learning. And this is where we start to get that ecosystem. All those examples are great. And it would take me four days, probably less, to find similar examples across our district that are just as inspiring that are one-offs. They're isolated. They're not necessarily part of a, a systematized, healthy educational ecosystem that includes technology as part of its core. 
that. Well, because otherwise you're not helping that digital use divide, Larry, because that divide might be between one classroom and the next classroom. You might have one classroom that's doing these things and then the classroom next door isn't because you just don't have that knowledge base there. That teacher doesn't have that knowledge base. It's not built into that system. The divide doesn't have to be from district to district. It can just be from classroom to classroom. So if we're going to do anything to address that digital use divide, it's got to be systematic. It's got to be built into the fabric of what we do. All stakeholders need to be on board. And I think that might actually be a decent place to kind of stop this one unless you have other stuff to, to add, because I think now we're getting into that digital design yep. divide. I think that's going to be next week's topic. We can dig into that. You should check it out, though. You should go to um, tech.ed.gov slash NETP and check out that national ed tech plan. Um, it does break it down into the all three sections, and you can kind of read about them on your own and read about the recommendations. Awesome. Hey, do you have a tech tool of the week? I do have a tech tool of the week with all the talk about um, UDL this week. I want to make sure I recognize and uplift cast.org. So cast.org is um, really, really helping to break down the barriers that people experience every day in the educational materials that they use. So they offer courses for universal design, design for learning. They offer webinars and just all kinds of resources for teachers that are working to make their work more accessible. Or if you are in a normal workplace and not education, and you're looking to make your work environment more accessible, they also have resources for that. It's just a phenomenal organization. So please check out cast.org. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, where can we find you online? At Brostrom DA on social. All right. You can find TCAP Sloop on LinkedIn, Facebook, the artists formerly known as Twitter and Instagram. Rate, review, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Cast, Podbean, CastBox, Overcast, or wherever else you get your ear candy. Thanks for listening and inspiring. You had so much.